Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tolman. Welcome back, everyone, to Talk Dizzy to Me. My name is Abby Ross. I'm a vestibular physical therapist and neuroclinical specialist, joined always by Dr. Danny Tolman, also a vestibular physical therapist. And today we have Dr. Amir Karadmund joining us from Johns Hopkins. And Dr. Karadmund, first of all, thank you for joining us. And second of all, please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm a clinician scientist. Uh, I am interested in eye movements and spatial orientation and how the brain functions uh, uh, related to uh, both of uh, these uh, important uh, areas. So uh, anything uh, related to these uh, makes me really excited. Then you're just like us, vestibuloholics. <laughs> right. Well, and that's why you're on the show. <laughs> indeed. So well, today, I, I, go ahead. Well, I, I got really interested in eye movements when I was uh, training in neurology. And I became really fascinated that the eye movements uh, are intricately involved in many sensory, motor, and cognitive functions from like sleep physiology to uh, decision makings. And more importantly, they are directly controlled by the brain. And there are many parameters uh, that are quantifiable when it comes to eye movements, like timing, accuracy of the movements, the velocity of the movements. And plus, they can be all studied through modeling and computational approaches that can help understand the brain function better. So that, uh, that was the fascinating aspect of the eye movement for me and how uh, it can be a window to understand brain function. Especially to quantify what is going on with our patients. You know, dizziness is very subjective and very difficult to measure. So being able to look at eye movements such as nystagmus is a huge uh, help to us when it comes to working with our patients. Exactly. And, and once you focus on eye movements, you'll learn that it is very important to understand the close connection with the ear balance function. So in a way, it's important to know what the ears are sensing to know how the eyes are moving, which is fascinating. Absolutely. I always tell my patients when they, they say, you know, why are you looking at my eyes so much? Or they're wondering why we're looking at their eyes. Well, this is a window into everything else, a window into your soul, if you will. Um, so today's topic is all about spatial orientation, or in our world, sometimes disorientation. Let's jump into the topic by discussing the multisensory aspect of spatial orientation. Right, and, and, and it is directly related to the eye movements. And before we, we get to that, I think it's important to uh, mention that it is very satisfying that using eye movements, we can really pinpoint lesions and understand problems inside the brain, sometimes even better than MRI. Like for example, when it comes to um, the brain stem lesions or, or, or eye movements are very important in uh, treatment options, uh, like how we track recovery across many brain conditions. Um, for example, the BPPV, there's no other treatment in medicine uh, 
that you can drive by looking at the eye movements with almost 100% efficacy and immediate positive outcomes. Not those, you know, complicated surgical invasive interventions, uh, just a simple maneuver that can be done uh, to treat DP DPPV. And uh, as we know, uh, unfortunately, it's not well known or performed among uh, medical practitioners. So uh, these are the fascinating aspects of the eye movement that is also linked with brain function and also related to more higher order functions like perceptual, cognitive, and motor functions that are um, controlled by, by brain and can, can be uh, uh, studied uh, under the umbrella of spatial orientation. We can see some of those uh, higher functions present themselves in vestibular dysfunction, such as brain fog and difficulty with cognitive tasks. Right, right. And like, like um, that's that's fascinating. What what the brain has actually do when it gets the signals from the ears and how it has to incorporate that to uh, control eye movements and uh, uh, also. Uh, uh, integrate this information into other brain functions. So, so in a way, the ears are the organs that sense the gravity and let the brain get acclimated to that and integrated into all functions. And, and this is something that we all take for granted. Like um, uh, we, we're not really aware of it until something goes awry, like the, the fogginess happens. So it, it, in a way, vestibular system, uh, can help the brain sense the gravity and integrate it into many different functions or fine tune uh, motor functions or control balance or eye movements, uh, which is which is a, a very important uh, function uh, uh, if you think about it. Uh, and and there are many examples uh, that can show the importance of that. Like for example, when you when we go into situations that the gravity changes like when we are flying we can we can sense how important it is uh, when when uh, our brain is struggling through situations that there is a sudden change in gravity like a simple example is uh, when we feel the turbulence uh, on a plane or where a simple thing when when the plane is taking off and um, we're looking at the floor of the plane and if you look at it, it looks like tilted to us, even though the orientation of the floor led it relative to our seat and us has not changed. So these are the important things that shows that our brain senses gravity through our vestibular system and incorporates that to various function uh, uh, that it has to uh, perform every day. I like an elevator example too, you know, sometimes you can't use your vision necessarily to see that you're moving, but your body can still sense that you're moving. Exactly. Um, it, it is, it, 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 in many ways, um, our, our vestibular system is important to, to detect our motion uh, and integrate uh, that information uh, into uh, how it has to fine tune all the all other functions and uh, that's become very important uh, to be able to control 
uh, our actions, the, the, the multi-sensory aspect of the spatial orientation. Uh, like each different sense give us a different perspective of the world or to put it into different words, they each, um, each of our senses have a different frame of reference. Like for example, our vision depends on the angle and the position of our eyes in our head. And our vestibular system is like an accelerometer that can detect the motion of our head um, in different planes or, or proprioceptive inputs from our joints can uh, tell the movement and position of different parts of our body. So these sensory inputs encode different pieces of information, but they all need to come together at some point and generate a unified, coherent, consistent sense of surrounding, which we call a spatial orientation. And that's a very important function uh, that our brain uh, has to do uh, mainly at the subconscious level, but it is very important to be able to take any other actions or interact with the environment. So our brain does it, uh, but we're not really actively aware of it until something goes wrong. So what are some things that can go wrong within this uh, you know, multi-sensory system that creates an issue with our spatial orientation? Yeah, so uh, let's, let's look at a very simple uh, example that again, we may take for granted, like when we walk from a wet, well, um, lit area into a dark room, we, we may not notice that our brain is smoothly switching sensory processing and updates its um, uh, precedence for relying on particular sensory signal like the vestibular inputs. But the end product, which is our sense of um, uh, spatial orientation and balance does not get uh, disrupted uh, as a result of that. Or, no. or, go ahead. No, keep going. Uh, I kind of like this example. Um, it makes it more tangible um, uh, to 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 feel how valuable this function that the brain does. Like you can think of our smartphones, which these days all they all have a camera in them. If we uh, record a video with our small phone and uh, smartphone and tilt the phone while we're recording and then play back uh, the video, we can see that the image recorded is moving in the opposite um, direction of uh, the phone while it was moving. So um, if we do that, uh, when when we're looking at, at the same scene and tilt our head, the world stays steady because uh, the accelerometers in our head, which is our vestibular system, can sense and adjust the position of the eyes and also help uh, integrate the information with other senses to keep the world steady in front of our eyes. Something that the accelerometers in the phones uh, do not necessarily do, which is again, very fascinating. So anything that goes wrong in this process uh, can, can cause a spatial disorientation. Uh, it's like, um, uh, it's like when you see a cursor on the screen frozen, the, the problem could be the mouse, uh, could be the screen or the operating system or the CPU of the computer. And it's sort of the same when it comes to spatial disorientation. The problem could be the vestibular system. 
It could be how this information is uh, integrated to, to maintain spatial orientation, uh, or um, uh, it could be how it is used to control the eye movement. So, so anything that goes wrong in this process can make uh, uh, someone disoriented. So one thing, it sounds like in some ways we are still smarter than our phones. This is great. <laughs> but also there are certain situations, something you said reminded me of this. There are certain situations where our sensory inputs are not exactly matched. So we want them, they, we want all these inputs to bring us to the same conclusion, right? We're moving to the right or we're, we're still or whatever it is. But what happens if our sensory inputs are not exactly interpreting the same thing. Uh, well, th that that could be also the source of mismatch and spatial disorientation, and it it is actually a very uh, important uh, process that has to take place inside the brain to make sure that the information is updated according to what is available and. Uh, integrated to maintain a unified spatial orientation. Uh, so in situations that there is a disruption in that or that there, there is a, there is a, a mismatch, uh, it can create a discomfort, uh, something that could be interpreted as dizziness or fogginess. Uh, again, um, th these are situations that one sensory input, is telling the brain some one thing and uh, another sensory input is telling the brain another thing. So the, 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 the end result would be uh, uh, very uh, disruptive. Me, uh, my husband experiences a lot of a spatial disorientation every time we go to Universal and ride the rides over there. He does not do well with all these new rides that require 3D goggles. They put you in some moving machine that's not actually moving, but it's tossing you all around and giving you a full field optokinetic, you know, image of something moving like a roller coaster or, um, you know, something along those lines. So uh, what are some of those symptoms that somebody might experience? Um, like we see, I think, very commonly um, a hot flash or sweating, uh, some nausea, uh, some feeling nauseated, um, dizziness. Is there anything else people might experience? Uh, so symptoms of a spatial disorientation could be uh, within a range of uh, dizziness, uh, vertigo, and be linked with other things that uh, the vestibular system controls like the autonomic dysfunction. So anything that goes wrong within the pathway of uh, vestibular inputs to the higher um, brain regions can, can, can cause the uh, uh, symptoms that can range from dizziness to spatial to to vertigo. So uh, the way you can think of it is like dizziness is a, a sense of uh, uh, disrupted uh, spatial orientation, and vertigo is the false sensation of motion. So all of these uh, can fit into the category of perceptual. Uh, central or uh, peripheral uh, problems that uh, can uh, be caused by vestibular dysfunctions. 
Now we talked about some of the symptoms that a patient might describe, but when you're listening to a patient's history, are there any particular clues besides their symptoms? Because there's a lot of things that can cause all of those symptoms, right? What else are you listening for that may clue you into the fact that this person is having some spatial disorientation? Well, this is very challenging because uh, as we know, uh, people may use different terms to uh, describe their symptoms and often what is described does not really uh, uh, exactly uh, show the source of the problem. And that's why it's important to have objective ways to measure spatial orientation. And uh, that brings us to something that's been lacking for a long time in, in our field, and that's having ways to be able to objectively measure spatial orientation. But because subjective ways, as we know, can't really uh, uh, tell us about what's exactly going on inside the brain. As we know, the quality of the symptoms are not really reliable as described by patients because it is a subconscious process and it's really hard to put it into words to, to describe it. So that's why it is important to be able to measure it objectively. And uh, a major gap has been to apply what we know from almost a century of research to, to the clinical understanding of these problems like dizziness and vertigo and spatial disorientation. Uh, there are many methods, and I can give you one example through a field that is known as psychophysics to be able to measure spatial orientation. So one simple way is to use gravity, which is a frame of, is a, is a very good uh, frame of reference to be able to measure spatial orientation. So a simple task of asking someone to tell you which way is up. Uh, so even if we don't use our vision, our, our brain through sense of gravity and vestibular system is doing a great job in, in uh, understanding which way is up, the errors are within plus minus two degrees of true vertical. And when, when the head and body are tilted, uh, there are changes in these uh, errors in a systematic fashion that we understand uh, through research. And we can compare these normal patterns to patients and be able to uh, understand how certain disorders can, can really affect the spatial orientation. And this is, this is where hopefully the future can bring us to be able to have objective ways to measure spatial orientation, dizziness. So if someone tells you they're dizzy, you can apply these methods to measure their related brain functions. Is there anything coming out soon that might be able to do this objectively? Well, we, we already have uh, uh, these some of these methods that uh, uh, true technologies are becoming more available. They're used in clinics. But I, I think we still uh, need more work to do to uh, to understand uh, their relevance to to dizziness and different conditions that can cause it so so we're hopeful that the, that these methods can become uh, uh, more uh, incorporated into the daily clinical practice and be used for diagnostic purposes 
would one test be potentially the subjective visual vertical test or vertical test where we use right. the, the bucket to figure out if the patient can tell us which way is up? Exactly. And, and like there are now uh, uh, computer, uh, phone based uh, uh, programs that uh, can be used uh, to measure subjective visual vertical. There are also other tests, like for example, uh, uh, one can measure uh, perception of uh, head tilt position. One can uh, one can measure uh, uh, perception of upright using a haptic method. So putting all these different uh, tests together, it would really help understand how an individual uh, can sense uh, gravity, how it's incorporated to uh, their spatial orientation, and whether there are abnormal patterns. Uh, in that or not. So more technology on the way to be able to better objectively assess this within the clinic. Yeah, because history is very important, but when it comes to dizziness, relying on the subjective quality of symptoms can just only make the, the, uh, the uh, medical practitioners dizzy themselves. So it, it's just so hard to understand what the patients are trying to convey. Um, and it's because uh, there's it's not something that we know or understand until we experience it. So it's very hard. So the only way to be able to get into that is to use um, methods uh, that have been developed to measure perception and apply it in a practical way in the clinic. So what are some of the diagnoses that are related to issues with spatial orientation? So spatial orientation is a fundamental function of the brain. So anything that can affect sensing body position and the environment and putting this information together can affect it and cause it. So from BPPV to, to stroke, to perceptual dysfunctions like vestibular migraine, it can all cause a spatial disorientation. So in a way, it's an umbrella term that can have dizziness, vertigo, uh, and many other things that uh, we hear from patients with vestibular disorders included in it. I think, Abby, you and I see this a lot um, in practice with vestibular migraine, triple PD, um, some of the more chronic conditions where patients have been suffering for a long time. They might be over the acute room spinning vertigo sensation, but they might have this dissociation from self, floating, light feeling that uh, really, you know, is functional, but really messes with their quality of life from a day-to-day -day point of view because of that mismatch in sensory output or input. Right, exactly. So, um, and, and I just want to go back to the example I, uh, I gave you earlier. It's like, uh, we can think of the problem as uh, when uh, our cursor on the screen is frozen. So we can think of it as a spatial disorientation, but the problem, could be the mouse not working, which, for example, could be the vestibular system, or the problem could be the uh, operating system or the CPU of the computer not 
integrating the mouse information with the rest of the uh, functions. So, so in a way, anything within the system that can go wrong can uh, can cause a spatial disorientation. So vestibular system is one aspect of it, but uh, this information need to uh, get inside the brain and they uh, need to also be integrated with other sensory functions. So if something else goes wrong with the sensory information, like for example, people who have visual problems, they can also get dizziness. So it's not always vestibular system that can be the source of dizziness. And, and problems inside the brain can, uh, can also lead to that. So we're talking about the range uh, here, one range could be, uh, one end of the range could be uh, dizziness with head movements, and the other end of the range could be a total spatial neglect as a result of uh, a stroke that affects uh, uh, cortical brain regions. So um, it, is, it is overall a multi-sensory process. Now, certainly it will depend on the cause of the spatial disorientation, but what avenues for treatment, how do we help people with these types of issues? Right. So it becomes, um, again, important to identify the cause. So the key would be making a diagnosis because if someone is disoriented because they have underlying BPPV, the, 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 this could be simply uh, taken care of by treating the BPPV. So identifying the cause and source of the problem would be the key uh, for, uh, for treatment. Um, also, um, it's all important to understand how the brain functions when it comes to spatial orientation to get a better idea about the source of dizziness in many patients with uh, perceptual uh, dysfunctions. And I'm talking about patients with, uh, for example, vestibular migraine. Uh, so if, if, if we think about it, spatial orientation is like many other skills uh, for the brain. There are people and folks who are really good in certain things, like for example, in spatial navigation or spatial orientation, uh, like dancers, they, they can do all the complicated um, uh, maneuvers and getting in, a, in and out of different positions without getting dizzy, at one end and at the other end, we have people with vestibular migraine that can get dizzy uh, with even simple head movement. So, so not everybody is the same, and uh, there could be ways to help people uh, tap into their brain capacities to 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 uh, become more comfortable with uh, their. Um, uh, uh, spatial orientation and become more comfortable with the daily activities, especially when they are affected uh, by dizziness. And that's why when we get to this field, it becomes very important to uh, apply techniques like physical therapy or, or rehabilitation, because this is like um, uh, a muscle 
that is weak when you if you think of the spatial orientation you need to work it out and make it stronger so it's important to get exposed to uh proper uh, uh, techniques to help the brain train itself and become better in spatial orientation so uh, again uh, shows the value of physical therapy and rehabilitation in uh, in treating uh, conditions like that. So with treatment, you know, what's the prognosis look like for a patient suffering from spatial disorientation? You know, we know that it's really important to figure out what's causing the disorientation, whether it's from stroke or vestibular dysfunction or something more centrally, you know, focused. But what does the prognosis look like for somebody? Is there hope? Is there uh, the chance that they'll be able to get better from this with therapy, with the right treatments? Uh, the good news is that the prognosis is really good. So um, many uh, dysfunctions that can cause dizziness, especially those like vestibular migraine uh, or triple PD that have perceptual uh, dysfunctions uh, as part of their mechanisms, they are the ones that can really get better. But the real challenge is that getting to the point that uh, patients become more comfortable uh, with their symptoms is hard because uh, the dizziness is affecting a fundamental function, the spatial orientation. And if you are disoriented, it's really hard to do anything else. But once the patients pass that stage and be able to tolerate the symptoms better, the prognosis is really good. So um, overall, among uh, disorders that can cause a special disorientation, uh, things like vestibular migraine or triple PD uh, have, have a really better prognosis compared to uh, other things like stroke that can cause a spatial disorientation. Now, I will say too, I think it's important to note that in rehab, kind of like that muscle that you were explaining that needs to be trained and needs to be worked again, in doing so, you may experience symptoms. In fact, we kind of want you to experience symptoms so that over time, with practice, with repetition, those symptoms become less and less. Exactly. So it is true, the exposure to that kind of error that the brain learns how to deal with it. And, and, and that's exactly what, for example, dancers do. You know, they're, they're not born that way to do those complicated things. They train their brain. So, uh, so it's not, sort of like the same approach. So patients with uh, perceptual dizziness, they, they don't need to become dancers. But through dancing and activities that can help train their spatial orientation, they can tap into that brain capacity to, uh, uh, to uh, recover uh, and uh, feel more comfortable with their daily functions. Now, to those clinicians listening, you know, we do want to make our patients dizzy, but within a therapeutic level, could you talk to this aspect of pushing it too hard? Like in this field, there is certainly, it's not no pain, no gain. We can definitely push somebody past their threshold by doing too much too soon. What happens in the brain um, that creates this issue? Like, why can't we just push a patient, you know, harder, harder, harder to get them better faster? What happens? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I think it's a balancing act. It's, it's important to make sure that you do not overwhelm the system uh, with 
something that it can't handle yet. So that's why it's important to uh, uh, apply it in a stepwise fashion. Uh, and um, and people are different, and the, the, and and there there are people who can uh, tolerate it better uh, cognitively and physically, and there are people who really need more um, uh, more dosing of uh, what they do. So I, I think it also depends on the individuals, too. It also reminds me of Simone Biles in the Olympics this year, how. All those twists and turns, she was feeling extreme spatial disorientation, probably caused a lot of stress and anxiety for her, but also recovering from it, right? It's possible. There is hope there. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Anything we missed covering this topic? Anything you'd like to share about yourself? Oh, um, I have to say that uh, this is a field that... that, uh, needs more uh, work for sure. You know, we, we know a lot about the vestibular system. We, we really uh, uh, know about how it's uh, connected with the ears, how, how the uh, inputs from the ears control our eyes, but we haven't really paid attention to how the vestibular system is integrated with other brain functions. And I think that's the key to understand disorders like vestibular migraine and triple PD. And, and, and the majority of our patients these days have these disorders. So I think it's about time to start looking into those uh, areas and uh, brain functions that can uh, help us understand these disorders better. Uh, in, in a way, uh, in our... Um, well, you can think of it this way. In our modern life, uh, we, we do things that can, you know, really challenge our, our brain uh, when it comes to spatial orientation. So uh, we, we, we sit in front of computers and look at screens for hours, uh, do multitasking while looking at the screens. Even if we want to work out, we, uh, we get on uh, treadmills and platforms that don't actually uh take us anywhere or put on virtual goggles and get on stationary bikes uh, so not everyone's brain can really handle this kind of illusory um, uh, environments the same and uh, our, our brains have not evolved uh, to be able to uh, handle these uh, unnatural environments so so it's not surprising that 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 uh, we, we we hear a lot about how technology can make people dizzy and cause a spatial disorientation. Necessarily not a bad thing, but but it is something that we have to be aware of it and we really need to understand it better. So, so definitely more work that needs to be done in this area. Is there anything in terms of research that you're participating in in this area currently or that you have participated in, in the past? Right. Uh, we, we have done um, uh, work in, uh, in, in uh, understanding spatial orientation. So uh, one of our, some of our earlier work, uh, we used uh, ma- magnetic stimulation to uh, understand uh, the cortical function and how, uh, they're, uh, how it's involved in, uh, in uh, sensory integration for spatial orientation. So uh, 
uh, I, I really think that understanding uh, those kind of functions would be the key to understand perceptual sources of dizziness better. Um, we've also uh, done some work in uh, measurement of uh, uh, vestibular functions, the autolith functions uh, related to torsional eye positions. Uh, so that's also um, uh, a work I think would be valuable to uh, better understand the control of the eyes, the role of autolith in various brain functions. So uh, there, there are many areas. If you if you think about the vestibular world, there are many areas that they, they need to be uh, uh, studied more. So um, so very exciting. That is, I think uh, some of the research that still blows my mind is looking at spatial orientation and anti-gravity situations. Like what does, what? how do we perceive this where there is no gravity that affects our vestibular system? I think the, the work in that is just mind-blowing it's such a hard concept to wrap your head around that's amazing and, and that again um, brings us back to the point uh, about uh, sensing gravity and how much we uh, uh, are unaware of it as our brain is doing a perfect job in that so uh, astronauts they they always explain the type of illusions which is mind-boggling like for example when they are in space uh, they they describe all different kinds of illusions, like they mix up the walls, ceilings, and panels uh, of the um, spacecraft, and they, they have to sometimes go through intense training to be able to keep uh, things steady in front of the eyes. And that shows the importance of gravity in how it uh, stabilizes our, our perception of the world and something that we're not really aware of it. And that's not only through the vestibular system, it's through how the vestibular system is integrated with different functions like proprioception, like vision, like uh, uh, other uh, uh, like somatosensory functions. So, so it, it's a fascinating thing. So if you think about it, vestibular function is a multi-modal function from the get-go. So that's why it is integrated in everything uh, that the brain does. And it's a fundamental function that has to be uh, uh, there in order to do other things or, or do any kind of multitasking. I think that sums it up right there, right? Vestibular system is a multimodal function and it's so important in our everyday function. And also, which was echoed throughout today's talk, until something goes wrong with this, you know, it's not something we think about until something goes wrong. And therefore, it's really hard to understand patients or loved ones or co-workers who do experience these types of symptoms. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Karadmund. I look forward, we look forward to working with you in the future and seeing what more is coming in the field from your end of things. And you know where to find us, audience. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos, blogs, continuing education classes, and resources, including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPMBV treatment charts. 
Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.